Well, today on Focal Point, Mike Fabares steps out from behind the pulpit and steps into his study for a time of questions and answers. Welcome to a special edition of Focal Point. I'm your host, Dave Drewy, and I'm glad you tuned in today. For the next half hour, we'll sit down with Bible teacher, author, and pastor Mike Fabares to answer some pressing questions from our listeners. And if you'd like to pose your own question, you're invited to do so by visiting focalpointradio.org. I'll share more details about contacting us later, but right now let's join Executive Director Jay Wharton from Inside the Pastor Study. Well, thank you, Dave. Pastor Mike, we've seen marijuana become legalized in four states now. Many more states are allowing it for medical purposes. And if things hold true, there'll probably be another dozen states that will legalize it completely in the coming year, most likely. What does that mean for us as Christians? Is it okay then for Christians to use marijuana because it's being legalized? Yeah, well, I guess the principle we need to start with is just because something is legal doesn't mean it's uh, moral from a Christian point of view. You know, I know sometimes that argument is made, you can't do that because it's illegal, but there's a lot of things that are legal. It's illegal to have abortion on demand, but we wouldn't say that's a godly thing to do and to end a preborn life. So yeah, legality doesn't equal morality, and I think starting there is very important. So they can legalize a lot of things. They used to legalize, you know, in the Roman Empire, you know, feeding uh, Christians to lions, but that doesn't make it a good thing. So I'm not real interested, nor does it ever capture my attention what the secular legislators legislate. Matter of fact, it's very depressing most of the time. So let's not start with that in our thinking as Christians. Hey, now that it's legal, let's do it. We've got a, a different standard, a higher standard that we need to employ anytime something is legal. And uh, people are telling us, well, then I guess it's okay for Christians to do it. What about medically? People are using it as a means to curb their pain. Yeah, well, there's a lot of things that we should look at when the question of marijuana comes up. Of course, you find, and at least in my you know, interactions with people that are claiming uh, that they're partaking in marijuana is for medical reasons. And I hear the argument all the time and I've encountered it with people in real life here in Southern California. And I recognize that it is easy for people to utilize that excuse, uh, just like they do with uh, prescription drugs and abusing prescription drugs. It's easy to say, I have a medical ache or pain. And so let's employ something that makes me feel better. A lot of times people just want to feel better. And uh, yeah, if you're looking for a sore neck or a some kind of systemic uh, ache or whatever, I can find it. And I just need to make sure if you're looking at that, you really analyze that honestly. When your friend comes up and says, I'm going to do this because I I need it for pain, I think we've got to be very careful and discerning about that. Not only do I think that, though the argument is made to the contrary, there's plenty of things that are available that don't do the same things that I think are harmful, not to mention as harmful as marijuana, uh, not to mention that it often opens up a a gateway to a whole lifestyle and increasing participation uh, in drugs, uh, not just legal in four states, but illicit drugs. So I hear the argument. I know it's out there and people use it. The people I talk to, uh, they don't want to take a Tylenol, you know, they don't want an ibuprofen. They just want to smoke their marijuana. And uh, that's because they grew up smoking marijuana. Now they got a reason to smoke marijuana under the guise of, you know, it makes me feel better. Is there something in this conversation with marijuana and even alcohol and other things that are legal 
about our stewardship of our own bodies. Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, bourbon and, and whiskey and, and tequila is legal. Uh, but, you know, for Christians to say, well, yeah, I'm going to engage in this and, and participate in this. Hey, we got to stop and say, does this really make any sense? Uh, marijuana, as you know, I mean, certainly will alter the personality. We've watched it alter the personalities of people. You know, it just changes, as they say in studies, the brain chemistry, and it becomes a, a real a degenerative kind of uh, personality, uh, you know, effect. It has that effect. The Bible is going to give us a, a whole different perspective. I don't want someone, as we see here so often, become this uh, degenerated, you know, kind of glazed over person. We want alertness. We want sobriety. The Bible, even just take your Bible software and search those words, you know, alertness and sobriety in the Bible. We're to be sober people, and uh, we don't want to just dull our pain and try to live our lives chilled out. That's not the goal for us. We're to be alert. We're to be ready. We're to be soldiers of Christ in this world. And that means I'm not going to engage in a lot of things, not just drugs, be they legal or illegal. But, you know, this whole question of alcohol often becomes something where people get home from work. They just want to dull their pain by engaging in some kind of, of mood altering substance that they can put into their body. And I think we got to be careful with that. I know a good meal <laughs> will change our mood, but of course, alcohol and drugs do much more than that to alter our mood to a place where, I know in pastoral ministry, we see the worst of people come out. Uh, they become lethargic, they become complacent, or others become angry and, and hostile. And there's all kinds of mood-altering chemicals in this world that I think Christians need to say, does it really match what the Christian character is called to be? And that, I think, for most of these things, lets us recognize, no, there's not a place for this in the Christian life. And that's an unpopular view, it seems increasingly so, because as you started this conversation, people say, if it's legal, it must be okay. But remember how many things are legal that clearly are not biblically okay. So when we see things about prohibitions regarding alcohol, and you'll get that conversation regarding wine and strong drink, and Jesus drank wine, and Jesus drank, you know, changed water into wine, we should think more in terms of not just alcohol, but all kinds of mood-altering drugs. Well, sure, and and I think the argument is made about Jesus and biblical wine that was of a different uh, potency than what we have today. Mo what we call modern wine certainly be seen as strong drink in the biblical days. So we've got to be careful with those comparisons. It's not an apples and apples kind of comparison, uh, and we've got to be careful about how that conversation goes on. Of course, the Bible is very strong in its statements regarding being inebriated and not being sober, and so we need to be the kinds of people that say, we don't want to engage in things that are going to, in some way, make me an inebriated or less in control kind of Christian. And so we've got to be very careful with those things. I can't stand up and say no one can drink alcohol. Certainly the Bible doesn't prohibit that. I just think we need to be very judicious and very careful uh, in saying, is this a liberty I want to engage in and what good does it do? And is there something else in terms of my, uh, my life that I can do to claim the peace and the lack of anxiety and the tranquility and the contentment that God says he can bring besides sticking a pill in my mouth or smoking a joint or drinking my alcohol at night to change my mood. Well, thank you, Pastor Mike. I know this is an important conversation, especially as we see these things becoming more prevalent and obviously legalized in our country. We're going to listen to a message you gave from your study session called Fallen Humanity on Drugs and Alcohol. 
You are an embodied spirit. You live right now for the next so many years until you meet your maker in this body of yours, this biological unit. You need to see that the Bible clearly teaches and you've experienced for all the years you've been on the planet that your spirit, your software can affect your your hardware, that your spirit and the state of your spirit can determine a lot of things about your biological existence. Who you really are is your spirit, your intellect, emotion, and will. That's the real you. And you are in the cockpit of this biology. But we need to realize that it works both directions. For instance, Proverbs chapter 31, verses 4 through 7, as the concern about alcohol comes to the fore in the Proverbs, it says, It's not for kings, O Lumel. It's not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink. Now, we know what wine contains. We know what strong drink is. It's just a stronger form, higher alcoholic content. I mean, that's a compound that has sugars and proteins and and ethanol and all the things in it that, that change the chemistry of someone's bloodstream. That's what that does. And it says, don't do that lest they they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of the afflicted. Now here's moral decisions that are being made and clearly being affected by what's going on in their biology. Now we know that it works in ways that are medicinal and helpful. For instance, give strong drink, which is all they really had in terms of changing the, uh, the biology of someone's life. I mean, they weren't expert in, in pharmacology at this point. So what they've got is strong drink, potent alcoholic beverage. Give that to the one who's perishing. Because when you're perishing, you're hurting. And wine to those who are in bitter distress. Well, that's interesting. That's a software issue. Bitter distress is something you'd say about your soul, not about your body. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Now, alcohol provides, because it's one of the few things in the scripture that we have, as a strong physical catalyst. It becomes a physical catalyst in someone's body, and the Bible keeps, I mean, this is one example, but there are several at how often it speaks to the difference it makes in one's moral judgments, in one's attitude toward their emotions, their sorrow in this case, or whatever it might be. So it works both ways. Now that's the establishment, if we think about the composite of the human life, physical and spiritual, material and immaterial, and then we want to think about, okay, these are intertwined or enmeshed in some way so as one affects the other and vice versa. With that in mind, let's talk about some biblical allowances in the scripture. Biblical allowances. Medicinal drugs but not recreational. There are things, and again as I said, the early church and the Old Testament world was very limited on things that can change the composition of your bloodstream that would deal with your body in some dramatic way. Obviously food is a drug, I guess, technically, in that it changes the chemistry of your your body. But of course there are potent ways to do that in the ancient world, and that was through alcoholic beverages. 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 23 said to Timothy, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. So there's something that alcohol could do for Timothy and his frequent ailments. Now, again, there wasn't a lot in the medicine cabinet of the first century. You usually had oil, olive oil, and you use alcohol in your metaphorical medicine cabinet. Of course, they didn't have a medicine cabinet, but that was the idea. You would put the salve or the oil on something uh, topical, and then if you had an ache or pain, you had alcohol in varying degrees of strength that you could drink. And so here we have someone, a pastor, who's abstaining from alcohol, by the way, He has to be told to take some, so he's not drinking alcohol, and he's told to take some because he needs the medicinal effect that will change the way he feels, and as long as that's to fix a problem, that's all 
peachy for, for the Apostle Paul. Proverbs 23, though, and you don't have to really guess at what the Bible thinks about recreational use of things that make us feel a certain way. If you drink for the buzz of it, to put it in modern day terms, the Bible would say that's wrong. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty. This is bad for them. It affects them in negative ways. And slumber will clothe them with rags. That's the kind of lazy lifestyle where they find recreation in getting buzzed or drunk and getting filled up with with food and it's going to lead to poverty. And this is something every parent should be telling their kid. And as he says, listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. A great verse to keep signing your notes to your kids with. Love mom, Proverbs 23, 22. <laughs> Intoxication. Here's one way that that is described. And we have to describe this from a biblical perspective. Wine is a mocker. It will, it will mock you. Strong drink is a brawler. Right? It'll fight you and get you to fight. And whoever is, now here's the phrase, led astray by them is not wise. When the intoxicant, whatever it is, starts to now take me in a direction, it begins to now move me. It begins to be something that takes the lead. Now I'm being led. I'm being intoxicated, as we would say. And the Bible makes clear in roundly condemning that from beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. Ephesians 5.18, if you want a verse in the New Testament, it's clear as day. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. That goes beyond normality. It goes beyond proper common borders. That is when the chemical now takes over. Instead, if you want to make a contrasting analogy, think about being led by, influenced by the Spirit. Don't let the wine lead you or whatever intoxicant you may be taking. Don't let that lead you, but let the Spirit of God call the shots for you. Bible also prohibits this, no addictions. I cannot be addicted to anything. Now, I've heard the arguments on this. Well, you're addicted to oxygen. You're addicted to water. Okay, I understand that. I am dependent on those things. I understand that. Addiction, though, is described this way in, in the Bible. All things are lawful for me. Now, this is in quotes because that was what they were quoting to the Apostle Paul. His response is, yeah, but not all things are helpful. Not to mention that not all things are lawful. Okay, the only things that are lawful are things that are lawful. He talks a lot about the law in the book of 1 Corinthians, and he says, this is what the law says, and this is what you can do, and the law says you can't do that, and that's what you can't do. So there are things that are not lawful. Getting drunk, we've seen, is not lawful. But if something is lawful, they're going to say, look at all those things that are lawful. I can do anything that's lawful. He says, yeah, but some things that may be allowed are not helpful. And the things that, and, the, and then he quotes it again, all things are lawful for me. That's what everybody keeps saying. But he responds with this, but contrast, strong, contrasting conjunction, I will not be dominated by anything. I won't let anything that may be allowed to become something that dominates me. That's the idea of addiction in the Bible. To put it another way, in contrast to what Paul said, we already quoted this in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. He says, I'll discipline my body, here's a great phrase, and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. When my body controls me, then that's the problem. Am I dependent on oxygen and water and, and, and food? I, I, yeah, I am. But even food ought to be in my life something that I can control and something that I'm, I'm able to say no to. That's what fasting is all about. I want to be able to use discipline in my life to be able to say my software is in charge of my hardware. I understand if I don't breathe and if I don't drink any water, eventually my body will die pretty quickly if I don't breathe. 
But to try and round out what I mean is mean by addiction, I want to look at phrases like this. The idea of dominate. This thing dominates my life. It's a focus of my life. I'm, I'm always thinking about this. It's something I, in this passage in 1 Corinthians 9, is really controlling me. I no longer control my body. This is something that has taken control. Okay, letter B. Legal doesn't mean righteous. And I was going to put it that way, but I put sinless because some of you will think I'm not sinning if it's legal. Now, that may have been something that needed a lot more commentary in the 1950s, but I hope now you recognize that should be obvious. Just because something's legal doesn't make it righteous, doesn't make it sinless. I just picked a verse. I mean, I thought, where can I go for this? It's all over the Bible, but I thought we read this. It was it this morning we read Daniel 3 and 4. I thought about the, the government there. And in this text, the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn and all those weird instruments he goes on to list, you are to fall down and worship the golden image of the king that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Just an example. Of course, in our day, no one's forcing us to buy a bong and smoke marijuana, but soon it will be illegal in Orange County. You don't think it will. It's just a matter of time. And then you'll say, well, I can get a buzz off of my marijuana because it's legal. And so it's okay because God says, obey the government and the government says it's fine. Again, all the principles that we go back to in terms of the issues that go beyond government that we said were prohibitions, I, I, we, we need to look at. Medicinal drugs are obviously permissible. We looked at the passage, take a little wine for your stomach, not recreational. A lot of people will lie and claim that there's a medicinal need when in fact it's nothing more than recreational, and you know that. I mean, come on. And again, I've heard all the arguments, and maybe, hey, if that's your thing, whatever. You're not going to answer to me. When you die, you're not going to see my face. They're going, okay, you're going to see Christ. And you think I'm unreasonable, Mr. Bible Thumper. You're going to meet the one who wrote the Bible, not the teacher of the Bible. And I know you think he's so cool, but he's holy. And you want to get through your life convincing all the people around you things you want to do to feel a certain way in your hardware. You'd better be careful. You'll have to answer to the living God one day. Just because something's legal doesn't mean it's sinless. Letter C, we need to live wisely. Let me give you some great lines out of Ephesians chapter 5. This is Ephesians 5. At one time, you were darkness, Paul says, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. I love that. It gives us a, a direction, a focus. A lot of people are always asking, what can I do and get away with it and still be okay with God? And, and God is always flipping that around saying, you need to be looking at what you can do to maximize things like things that are good and right and true. Live that way. Focus on how righteous and, and holy and good and, and fruitful you can be, not how much you can get away with. So much so, he says, you should sit down and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. When you think about that, and you're making decisions about a lot of things, You've got to do more than just say what, what is allowed. We need to think about what is wise. Let me give you more of that passage. Philippians chapter 5, the next few verses, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time. doesn't say good use of your time, the best use. He uses a superlative. The decisions aren't really between good and bad for us. Right? That's how most people like to posit this whole thing, but really it's between better and best. And we're supposed to be making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. If you focus on the good of others and not your rights, as the Bible says repeatedly, I think of this passage in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, where to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count 
others is more significant than ourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, which might be exercising your freedoms, which you are free to do, but also the interests of others. So when I drink, which I don't, but if I were to, I'd have to say I have to make these decisions based on how it's going to impact other people, which is exactly what's going on in Romans chapter 14. If your brother is grieved by what you eat, see, because the alcohol of the first century was ham sandwiches and BLTs. That was the thing that was stumbling people and grieving people, thinking, wow, that's not right. If your brother is grieved by what you eat, or in our case, what you drink, and no, you're no longer walking in love, but what you eat, by what you eat, rather, do not destroy the one for whom Christ has died. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding, and do not, for the sake of food, or drink, in our case, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. And I can say that, and I want to say that. You've got the right to drink wine. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. Important principle. Another warning. Don't embolden others to sin, which is where Romans 14 goes. We just quoted it. It's not good to eat meat or drink wine or do anything. Now he includes alcohol in this statement that causes your brother to stumble. And to stumble means that they're going to be led into sin. If I embolden someone's conscience to do something that they wouldn't otherwise do, but they see me making a claim for godliness, doing the thing that is risky behavior for them, and I embolden them to do it, and their conscience is violated, or they become a drunkard because of it, well then, I'm held accountable. And a passage like this says, don't do that which I've seen happen on multiple occasions, people exercising their freedoms, emboldening people to do something that leads them into a behavior that for them violates their conscience or leads them to some level of mastery or domination or addiction, if you want to use the modern term for it. So I don't want to do that with my liberties, but let's pray. God, sermons are hard in part because I love this church and I love these people. I want what's best for them. Just as their pastor, I want to be careful not to go beyond what scripture says. Whatever it might be regarding our bodies, I know we're so enmeshed in our bodies that what we do with our physical bodies, it affects our spirit and vice versa. But as we think about the effects that we have and how we eat and what we drink or whether we engage in drinking alcohol, all those things have to be carefully considered because the days are evil. There's a lot at stake. Our lives should be distinctive. Doesn't mean that everyone in the room has to make the same decisions regarding alcoholic beverages. But God, when it comes to things like that, we, we need to be careful about how we think through it to be discerning and wise and careful. And God, I just pray that you would take those principles that we've discussed and allow people to make thoughtful decisions about their own lives, that they might be able to stand before you with a clear conscience and hear from you, well done, good and faithful servant. Just knowing that you're the one to whom we have to give an account. Thanks for this time in your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In light of what we've heard, the question we should ask ourselves is not merely what's allowed, but what is holy, fruitful, and good. Today's message was part of our regular Ask Pastor Mike segment, and you're listening to Focal Point. And remember, if you'd like to send in your own question, visit our website, focalpointradio.org, or submit your question through Facebook at facebook.com slash Mike. If you only caught a portion of today's program, including Pastor Mike's discussion on marijuana, you can listen to it again at focalpointradio.org. You know, you can make a difference here at Focal Point by becoming one of our valued Focal Point partners. It's easy to sign up, either by calling or going online. And you'll have the satisfaction of knowing your monthly automated donation goes directly toward providing Pastor Mike's teaching here on your station. 
To become a monthly Focal Point partner today, call 888-320-5885. That's 888-320-5885. Or you can go online to focalpointradio.org. Well, today, whether you make a one-time donation or become a Focal Point partner, we want to say thanks for your gift by sending you A.W. Tozer's book, Who Put Jesus on the Cross? In it, Tozer calls Christians to examine their lives, and he speaks to every generation seeking to understand Jesus' claims. And his insights are especially poignant today. His section on tolerance and intolerance may surprise you. Get a copy of Who Put Jesus on the Cross today by calling 888-320-5885 or by going online to focalpointradio.org. That's focalpointradio.org. As an added incentive to get in touch with us today, we want to send you a free resource. It's an enlightening booklet called Christ in the Passover, perfect for the Easter season. To get your complimentary copy, call us at 888-320-5885. I'm Dave Drewy, wishing you a restful weekend. We'll meet you back here for more Bible teaching with Mike Fabares Monday on Focal Point. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries. 